This morning I have the privilege of sharing uh, scripture with you. And before we do that, let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you that your promise is that your word, when spoken, will never return back to you empty. So this morning, as we open your scripture, Lord, let your word come alive for us. Let your Holy Spirit interpret for us. Let your Holy Spirit speak through my lips, Lord. We give ourselves to you that you may teach and lead and change us. Thank you, Jesus. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. I am Fung Four Roads, the spiritual growth director here at River Life and also wife to Pastor Greg. Uh, it's an honor for me to be here to give you the word. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but just in a couple weeks, River Life is going to be celebrating our seventh year anniversary. Yes, it's a wonderful thing, a gift that the Lord has given us to even be here to minister to our community. Uh, but as I think about the last seven years, I am reminded of the very early conversations that Greg and I had with uh, our ministry team. And we talked about a lot of things, but one of the really important decisions that we made was how should River Life be? What is it that we want to be characterized by? Um, we had seen a lot of second and third generation all leave the church. Some of them even left the faith. And we saw that often they left feeling very rejected by the church, feeling hurt, feeling defeated in their faith. And we made the pivotal decision that as a church, we would make sure that we did not make it difficult for people to come to the Lord, that we would not put any obstacles in the way for second and third generation Hmong to connect to God for the first time or to reconnect with him after a long time of not being in his presence. We saw a lot of obstacles that had been put in their place so that it was hard for second and third gen Hmong to connect to God. These, some of these obstacles were things that the church did that they weren't even really aware of. So some obstacles we saw were the expectation that you speak Hmong before you could worship God. Other expectations were that you had to know the Christianese, you had to know church lingo. We saw obstacles of gender role expectations, like what you can and can't do if you're a woman or a man. We saw expectations about your marital status. Are you single? Are you married? Are you divorced? We saw expectations about family connections. Tell us who your parents are, and then we'll figure out how to treat you. What's your reputation in the community? That was another obstacle that we often saw. And as we watched young Hmong lead the church, we knew that we had to be a place that would remove some of those obstacles. Now, before you applaud us for being so revolutionary, let me just turn our attention back to the Bible. Because these issues that we were 
grappling with and decisions we were making, we were just following and modeling the, the, the early church as we see in the book of Acts. So today we're going to continue our series in Acts. Um, just to recap, last week Greg taught us about how Peter had this experience with a, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And it was the first time that Peter realized that God did not show favoritism and that salvation was not just for the Jews, but also for the non-Jews, the Gentiles. God changed Peter's perspective, and God changed Peter's heart. And Peter had that testimony to give to the young Christian church at that time. Now, the church was astonished. This was the first time they had heard that salvation was also for non-Jews. But to their credit, the church rejoiced at what God was doing. So today we're going to pick up in Acts 15. This is almost a decade later after Peter had the experience with Cornelius. So we pick up in Acts 15. Read with me in Acts 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and we're teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. We'll pause here a moment. Now, why did Paul and Barnabas get so upset and worked up by what these teachers were, were saying? First of all, these teachers were not authorized. We find out later that they were not sent by the Jerusalem church. They just came down to Antioch of their own and started spreading this. Secondly, Paul and Barnabas were really upset because at Antioch, there were lots of non-Jewish believers. And basically, these teachers were saying that, hey, if you're not Jewish and you haven't converted to Judaism, you are not saved. So their salvation was coming into question. These teachers, in essence, were teaching that salvation comes through keeping the Jewish law and becoming a Jew. But Paul and Barnabas had been teaching the good news the word gospel actually means good news. And they were giving the good news that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so you can see this was no small debate. This was getting at the heart of what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. And so the church at Antioch said, okay, we need to settle this debate. So we're going to send you, Paul, Barnabas, and a couple other of our elders here, we're going to send you to Jerusalem and talk to the Jerusalem church because that's where the leaders were, and let's settle this debate. So let's pick up from there. Then some of the believers, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so they left, and they actually had to travel about 300 miles. Antioch is north of Jerusalem, and we always say go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is, is on a hill. So they came to Jerusalem, and the church welcomed them. They had a warm reception. But as they were there, here's what happened. Reading from verse 5. 
Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. Uh, this was the meeting that was called by the, the church leaders there in Jerusalem. And we, it has uh, come to be called the Council of Jerusalem, which kind of set the precedent for any time that there was a huge theological debate, a council would be called and they would, would uh, come up with a decision. So here we see the first council. And here's what happened at the council. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So let's let's recap a little bit what Peter was saying. Not only did Peter clearly explain that people are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, but Peter also pointed out that all those rules and rituals, the covenant that God had made with Abraham and his descendants, and the laws that he gave to them, Peter was saying, you do realize how heavy a yoke that is. A yoke is something, a heavy burden that we put on uh, usually animals so that we can control them and so that they, they have limited movement. And he was basically saying, why would we want to do that to our new Christian brothers and sisters? Peter, as a good Jew, knew that it is impossible to keep the law in and up by ourselves. So here's how they responded. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. So James is the half-brother of Jesus. And as we read on it, it appears that he was leading this council. So he is now going to give the verdict. He's going to say, after we've had all these discussions, here's what we, as the Christian church, are going to decide. Uh, first, James affirmed Peter's testimony about God choosing non-Jews to become part of his people. And secondly, James reminded the council members that God had already told the Jews that someday Gentiles would be part of his people. And he, he 
quoted from the Old Testament prophet of Amos to remind them of this. And here's what he concluded. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So basically, James directly countered the Christian Pharisees who expected that non-Jews should follow the same rules and rituals and live the same way that they did, such as being circumcised and keeping the letter of the Mosaic law. In fact, kind of echoing what Peter said, James was basically saying that he considered these requirements unnecessary, and in fact, these were unnecessary burdens that we would not, they would not require of the Gentile believers. Thus, the Council of Jerusalem reaffirmed that for both Jew and Gentile, salvation comes by grace through faith alone, not by circumcision, not by the work of keeping the law, and not by becoming Jewish. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, and you're hearing this, and, and you're like, this is great news. I don't have to clean up my act first. I don't have to do this or that or be a certain way before I can be saved. This is good news for you. And today, there's no better time than today for you to receive Christ. If you've already been a Christian for a long time, then rejoice that your salvation comes through Jesus and that you don't have to depend, to depend on your own work. But there's a strange thing and a dangerous thing that can happen once you've been a Christian for a while and the longer that you've been walking with the Lord. It is really easy to become smug and confident in your own brand of Christianity. We can begin to live as though we believe, like the Pharisees did, that salvation comes through faith and, and we fill in the and with however we are living or our way of living out our faith. Salvation comes through faith and is a, it's a heresy. It's a false teaching that goes against what the Bible teaches. Yet when we begin to live this way and believe that it's faith and, it can become easy to look at other Christians and judge them as though they are not saved. So in case you're wondering what that looks like, here are some ways that we can judge others. We might look at Christians who are struggling with their sexual identity or have same-sex attractions, and they're struggling with it, and we think, 
how can you say that you are a Christian? Or we look at somebody and we ask them if they're Republican or Democrat, and depending on their answer, we, we're like, how can you say you're a Christian when you vote that way? Or maybe you, you meet someone and they say that they speak in tongues, and you're like, no way. How can you be saved? Or maybe they look at you and they say, you don't speak in tongues? How can you be saved? Or you might look at the person next to you and you're like, you celebrate Halloween? How can you be saved? Right? There, this, the list goes on and on. But our, our most recent one is where we look at people and we're like, you got vaccinated? Don't you believe in God? Like, where's your faith? How can you be saved if you got vaccinated? And then some of us look at the others and go, you didn't get vaccinated? Are you sure you're saved? Okay, I hope I'm, you get the point that this list that we have for people, this list of faith and, will let me know that you're really saved. And the Council of Jerusalem already settled that. But we need to look at our hearts to see what are the obstacles that we're putting in people's way that God never intended. He just said, come to me through Jesus, my son, and you will be saved. And we're like, not so, not so fast. There are other things, other hoops you have to jump through, other things you have to prove to me that you are really saved. I want, us to, re- I want to remind us of what Peter said. God, who knows their hearts, purified them through faith. So for those people, those Christians who you're wondering if they're saved, God knows their heart. Last week, Greg challenged us to look at those cultural and personal beliefs and values we have that we think are biblical and Christian. And just like Peter had to be confronted about his own cultural values, today I want us to think about how those personal and cultural values might actually result in us creating obstacles for people to come to God. So we're going to take some time for reflection. During this time of reflection, I'll give you four minutes to Invite the Holy Spirit to search you, to fill in that blank that you might be putting there that is an obstacle for others. So reflect on these these questions. What am I doing that makes it difficult for people who are turning to God? In other words, what unnecessary burden am I placing on them? What obstacles do I put in other people's way to God?